All right, good morning. We will audible from the book of James. We will be in Romans, the epistle of Paul to the Romans. We'll be in chapter 6, kind of sort of chapter 5 to give us some context, but then in chapter 6. Romans is a wonderful book. Uh, as I, I think if I had to pick a book in all of the Holy Scriptures to have, and I had to pick one, I think this would be it. Of course, I'm glad I don't have to do that. But in chapters 1 to 3, about verse 25, Paul teaches us that all men are under condemnation, all lost sinners, both Jews and Gentiles. Chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 23. Chapter 3 and verse 4, Paul teaches us the doctrine of justification, teaches us about our salvation. So he goes from condemnation to justification and salvation. And then in chapter 6, he transitions to our sanctification. And then after that, to mortification. Today, the focus of our study is going to be on our sanctification. And we're going to look at a term in the scriptures that it's been on my heart for weeks, actually. And I wasn't quite ready last week, but I think this week I pray that the Lord will have something for us and that he would teach us in this passage. In Romans 6, 2, if you get there, I'll show you the, the phrase that Paul writes. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so it's those words, dead to sin. And I could tell you that's a death that you want. You want to be dead to sin. And so that's it. And I begin to meditate upon that, think upon that, study that. And I want, because listen, this is a place of sanctification to be dead to sin, where sin no longer has dominion over us. If you're lost, sin has dominion over you. But if you're saved, the Apostle Paul speaks here, and we'll see in a moment in the indicative mood, that this to the Christian is something that is certain. It is so. And I want you to see that today from the scriptures. But come with me as we go to the throne of grace and pray. Father, please help us, O oh God, as we open the word. I thank you for these precious souls. Father, it's a humbling thing to come before your presence. We pray that you would speak to us. Give us understanding. Father, I, I need you to understand the word of God. Father, it's not a textbook like an English book or a history book that we can learn, um, learn in order to be saved. No, Lord, we need you to meet with us. We need your spirit, O oh God, to descend into our midst to reveal this to us, O oh God. O oh Father, it speaks to us. Your word speaks to us of a supernatural and great salvation, a supernatural gospel that has power. But Father, we have not the power to wield it. We only open the word of God and we depend upon you, O oh God, to powerfully work among us, to speak to us, to open the eyes of our understanding. We need you, O oh God, this morning. And I pray that you would please be here with us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Romans 6.2, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now let's dispense with this right away. If you're a Christian, this is talking about you. You are dead to sin. 
So if you're dead to sin, how shall you live any longer therein or in sin? Well, it shouldn't be. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, it's important to understand because if you're in Christ, you are. Now, this is a contrast to being dead in your sins. You've heard that. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses and sins. To be dead in your sins means that you're estranged from Christ. Y'all know what it means to be estranged, right? It means things aren't good. So when we're outside of Christ, we're estranged from Christ, separated from him. To be dead to your sins, you know, in opposition of being estranged from Christ, you're united to Christ. Those that are dead to their sins, they're united to Christ and they are one with Christ. Being dead in sin is bad. Being dead to sin is good. That's what you want. Now, since Romans 6.1 starts with a question... I want to look at the latter part of Romans 5 to help us understand. We didn't read verse 1. Let's read it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says, what shall we say then? So we need to go back and find out. Because he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So we need to understand why was Paul saying this? Now go back to verse 12 of chapter 5. We know what chapter 12 speaks of the offense that plunged the entire human race into sin. And listen, just a thought here. If you ever think that one little sin is not bad, see what Adam's one sin did to the entire human race. So don't ever think that one little sin that you commit is bad. It's like a rock that you throw in the water. The ripples don't stop. They reach every point in the pond that you cast that rock into. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, one man, and death by sin. That was the punishment. That was the warning of God. We know in the garden of God. Death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam is our, he's our representative. He represented you and me in the garden of Eden. And what that means is, is you and I sinned in Adam. He represented all of humanity. When he sinned, every one of us sinned. And so that helps you to understand how guilty we all are in Adam. Adam's penalty and punishment is our penalty and punishment. In fact, I'll just read this to you. This is, this is 1 Corinthians. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you quickly. The scripture says, But now... Uh, for since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, that's Christ. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, that's us, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, speaking of Christians. So if you're here today, of course you are here today, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's only two types of people in the world, the lost and the saved. So Adam was our representative. We understand that. Now from verses 14 to 19 in Romans 5, if you're still there, Paul contrasts two men. 
Adam and Christ. He contrasts Adam's disobedience and sin, which brought death, because that's what Adam brought into the world. And he contrasts Adam with Christ. He contrasts it with Christ's obedience and righteousness, which brings eternal life to them that believe. So in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. He goes further, and I'm not going to read the passage, but I'm just kind of summarizing it for you. He teaches us that by the offense and disobedience of one man, Adam, death, condemnation, and judgment came upon all. Because of Adam, we were all made sinners. So we sinned in Adam. In contrast, by the grace of God, and you know, you know what grace means. Huh? It means receiving something that we don't deserve. None of us could ever merit our salvation. The transaction of our salvation between God the Father and God the Son was between God the Father and God the Son. We are the recipients of that wonderful grace that Christ died for our sins. So Christ, in contrast, he obeyed God. So there was the offense and disobedience of one man, and there was the obedience of the other man, that is Christ. And for those that believe in Christ, as in Adam many are made sinners, so in Christ many shall be made righteous, and they shall be given eternal life. In Adam there is death, in Christ there is life. Now, <clears throat> if you're in Adam, and you've got to remember this, being united to him. If you're in Adam and only in Adam, you're united with Adam. You're lost. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And if that's who you are and you're not a Christian, sin and death reign like a king in your life. Now, if you're in Christ, you're united to Christ. And grace reigns in you by Christ unto eternal life. So you're either in Adam, of course we're all in Adam, but those of us that are saved, we're now in Christ. All right. So remember that in Christ, you're united with Christ. You're one with Christ. Now look at verses 20 and 21, and we'll pick up there in chapter 5. <clears throat> Paul now writes, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The offense. Now, is he talking about the one offense of Adam? I think that's a probability. The law entered that the offense might abound, that it might increase, that it might look worse. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned, see this? Sin hath reigned unto death in the lost, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ in the saved. So do you all understand that? If you're lost, sin and death reign in your life. The wages of sin is what? Death. If you're in Christ, you remember what Jesus told Martha? He says... Thy brother shall rise again. 
And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he's talking about salvation, brethren. Of course, he could be talk he's talking in both respects, but I think mainly of salvation there. So Paul in this passage contrasts our sin and God's grace and how sin reigns unto death and lost sinners and how grace reigns in righteousness in the saved. So either sin is reigning in your life or grace is reigning in your life. One of the two. Now when you talk about reigning, we know that what a king reigns, right? A king rules. So either sin's ruling you or grace is ruling you. So which one is it? And if you're in Christ, it must be grace. And this is what Paul teaches us, and this is what we're about to delve into in this passage. <clears throat> now, this is also where we are better able to understand the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law of God, the law of Moses. He says in verses 20, or verse 20, he says, The law entered. That word entered means it came in beside Beside what? It came in beside the command that God gave Adam. So it came in in addition to the command that Adam transgressed. Because God gave Adam a, a command, right? He says, don't eat of this tree. In the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. We also know that God created the man with the law of God written upon his heart. With, he has a conscience. But now, God gave us the law of Moses. The law entered that the offense might abound. So the written law, where we could read those Ten Commandments. Why did the law enter? That the offense might abound? The law makes our sin look like it should look to us. The law clearly manifests to us how bad our sins really are. It condemns us with inescapable and divine precision. The law puts the finger on us and we realize that we cannot escape its condemnation. It condemns us. And this is the design of the law, that the offense might abound, that it might look as bad as it really is. Because without the law, we don't know. In fact, look at verse 13 of chapter 5. If you're there in Romans, 5 and verse 13, he says, For until the law, sin was in the world. That is the law of Moses. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Well, there was death between Adam and Moses, and that proves to us that there was sin and there was law. So understand that. Now go to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7 and verse 4, Paul here writes, Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So he's talking about a union. He's talking about when Christ died and he took our sins upon him on that tree, now, he says, 
ye Christian, I want you to get this, ye are become dead to the law. So here's another dead to phrase. What does it mean that we've become dead to the law? It means that it has no more condemning power over you. We're dead to the law by the body of Christ. And here's a union now, a new union, that you should be married to another, even unto Christ. Now look at verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, that's lost, the motions or the passions of our sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The law revealed to us that we were sinners. That's what he's saying. But now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, because you go back to chapter 5, he says, he says, the law entered that the offense might abound. Well, did the law make me sin? No, the law made sin look like sin. He says, he says, is the law sin? No, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. In other words, without the law, I didn't know about lust. I was ignorant of it. He says, I was alive without the law, verse 9, once. That's not a good alive. That's in my own opinion. This is like in Paul's conceit. He says, I was alive without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived. The law revealed my sin to me. And he says, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Now verse 13. Was then that which is good made death to me? He's talking about the law. God forbid. But sin, and this is what the law does. Sin, that it might appear sin. See, the law was designed to show us our sins and by working death in me by that which is good because the law is good that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful so we understand that the law is designed to show us how bad our sins are now it's not listen it's important to understand this that's why I'm going over this go, go to Galatians chapter 3 Keep in mind, keep in your mind, we're going to get to this. What does it mean to be dead to sin? Dead to sin. Galatians 3.21. Paul, the apostle to the Galatians. Verse 21 says, Is the law then against the promises of God? No, God forbid. For if there had been a law given which should have given life, Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, 
shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For we are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, we're going to see that again in Romans, have put on Christ. There, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So listen, for those of you who are saved and in Christ, sin and death are now dethroned in your life. Hence, now you are dead to sin and you are dead to the condemnation by the law against you. And now grace reigns by Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus died on the cross. He completely fulfilled the law. Completely. And so now, when he died on the cross, by faith in Jesus Christ, the law has no more power over you. And so, as Paul says in Romans 7.4, you are dead to the law by the body of Christ. Now, since grace reigns in you now, Christian, and listen, if you're a Christian, these are things that your faith must take hold of. As much as your faith takes hold of Christ dying for your sins, because we believe that by faith, right? If you're saved, you believe that Christ died for you. This wonderful truth that we're about to look at, being dead to sin, is another truth about your salvation that you must grasp that you must believe by faith. It's a liberating truth. It's a sanctifying truth. I pray that you'll see that. So Christians, sin now, I'm sorry, grace now reigns in you. And Paul says where sin abounds, and we see this, grace does much more abound. <clears throat> so as sin increases, grace superabounds that sin. It increases all the more. Now, since all of this is true of you, Christian, and we're back to chapter 6 and verse 1 of Romans, if you'll get back there. So since grace reigns in you, since the grace of Christ reigns in you, and since sin doesn't reign in you, <clears throat> Paul starts, what shall we say then? Since grace reigns, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, it was probably some of the reasoning of some of those that had wicked hearts that Paul spoke to in the time. Shall we continue in sin to get more grace? Since when sin increases, grace increases more? Shall I think like this, Paul's teaching? The more I sin, the more I receive grace? Now, this is what the wicked thought about Paul's, about God's grace, rather. I'll sin and get more grace. But Paul replies, God forbid, may it never be in any of you Christians. We must never think like that. May that never be in any of our hearts. I've actually heard people say that. Oh, I'll just sin and ask God for forgiveness. That's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And beloved, that's like saying, let us do evil that good may come. No, may it never be, Paul says. But there were some that listened to this 
And they said, well, wait, you're saying that when sin abounds, grace much more abounds, and it does. So let us sin that we get more grace. And Paul says, no. <clears throat> and then verse 2, how shall we that are, and there's that phrase, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein or in sin? Now, this is where you need to stay with me and you need to, listen, if you're in Christ, listen, this is strengthening to your faith. This strengthens, if I could say, your salvation. This strengthens your assurance. It strengthens your sanctification in Christ. Because now we're going to look at Romans 6 and verses 3 to 11. <clears throat> Paul is now going to expand on this very important truth for our faith to take hold of. Listen, if you're in Christ, it's a biblical fact and a certainty that you are dead to sin. I mean, think about that. Whereas before you were dead in your sins, now you are dead to your sins. It's a biblical fact. Paul states it. And as we read this, Paul writes verses 3 to 11 he writes in what is called the indicative, which means it's something that is certain. It has happened. It's a certainty. So that's how he writes. Now remember what verse 21 said. Paul said that as sin hath reigned unto death, that's your past. Sin used to reign in you. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, among whom we all had our conversation, not now, but in times past. Listen, if you are a Christian, you are not the, one, the person that you were. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So that's who the Christian is. And if you're a Christian, Paul speaks of you. And part of that is that you are now dead to sin. So sin reigned unto death in you in your past. Even so now in the present and future might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. In other words, this is where you are now. <clears throat> so what does it mean to be dead to sin? What does that mean? And if it's good, I want it. Listen, I may not understand everything that is written in the Scriptures, but I know when it's good, I want it. I want that. I want to be dead to sin. I don't want it to have power over me. So what does it mean? Now, if I could take you back to Matthew 121 and just listen, you don't have to go there. Do you remember when Gabriel, the angel, talked to Joseph and he wasn't going to take Mary to be his wife because she was pregnant already? <clears throat> so the angel went to Joseph and said, Fear not to take Mary to be thy wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, Joseph, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So that helps us. A Christian is saved from their sins. God doesn't save us in our sins. 
When God saves us, it is a salvation. If you were saved from drowning, you're no longer drowning. And so if God saves you from your sins, you're no longer lying in the filth and wickedness of your sins. And so that's why Jesus came. When God saved you, Christian, he saved you from the guilt, the punishment, and the condemnation of your sins. But he also paid, he, he also delivered you from the dominion of your sins. Remember we're talking about either sin reigning or grace reigning. Sin doesn't reign in the Christian's life. You tell me you're a Christian and you sin with impunity and you sin just not worrying about it, I'll tell you that you're not a Christian. Because the Bible tells us sin shall not have dominion over you, Christian. So don't tell me that you're a Christian and you just sin and you don't worry about sinning and you just do what you're going to do. And then you say, well, God will forgive me. Sin abounds, grace much more abounds. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. That is not Christianity. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're dead to sin's tyranny. You know what tyranny is, right? You're dead to the tyranny of sin. You're dead to sin's rule over you. Sin no longer reigns over you. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Paul states this as a biblical fact. And listen, we're about to read this, Romans 6. This is what you need to... I, I encourage you to go home and read this chapter, the entire... This is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Word of God. In the same way that you believe by faith that Christ suffered and died for your sins on the cross, here Paul goes deeper into that wonderful truth of your salvation about what happened on the cross. And here's where I think... God will help you better understand. Listen, when Christ died on the cross, he took upon himself and in his body the penalty, the punishment, and the condemnation for your sins. He took it upon himself in his body on that tree. But there's more. When Christ died on that cross, Romans 6 teaches us that you died with him. You died with him this is not an implication it is a biblical fact here in the first part of Romans 6 Paul wrote in the indicative mood of certainty meaning that this happened on the cross meaning believer in Christ when Christ died the old you died with him now you start understanding that I died with Christ, the old man is dead. So think about this. Think about Galatians 2.20. You don't have to turn there. We're going to sing this little scripture song at the end. But listen to this. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. You need to be able to say that by faith. If you're in Christ, you can say that by faith. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, not the old me, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, as opposed to the life that I used to live, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. So understand, to be alive in Christ, one must be crucified with Christ. And listen, here's where your faith needs to enter into. If you're a Christian, the old you was crucified with Christ. You died with him on that cross. If, if we're united with him in his life now, we had to be united with him in his death. And so that's what Romans 6 teaches us. Look at Romans 6, 3, and you're there. Now listen, listen to the language, and you should be able to understand. He says, know you not. That's like saying, don't you know this? That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now he's not specifically teaching about water baptism here. He's talking about us being made one with Christ, being united with Christ. Notice, we're baptized into his death. Now listen, this is an excellent passage when we do baptize a new believer because baptism is a picture of the old you is no longer. The old you died and was buried. And when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of you now walking in newness of life. And he says that. He says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That is, we're united with him. We're made one with him. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, since we're united to Christ, also should walk in newness of life. See, the Christian walks in newness of life. We have a new life. We're a new creation. We don't walk like we used to walk. Listen, salvation is supernatural. The Bible says those that believe the gospel, they're saved by the power of God. God sends forth his power to save sinners. You say, well, I believed Christ. Yes, you did. And you wouldn't have believed Christ unless God would have opened the eyes of your understanding. Like Lydia by the river when Paul and the apostles preached there. They went and preached the word to Lydia. And the Bible says, whose heart the Lord opened. That was the mighty power of God saving Lydia. Salvation is not left to a mere earthly decision that you make. So many would say, well, yes, I believe in Christ, who have in fact never been saved. And you can detect false conversions by people that will say, yes, I believe Christ, but they live just like they did before they were saved. They still live in their sins. And Paul teaches us here, we're about to see sin shall not have dominion over you. And so we have been baptized into his death. Verse 5, planted together in the likeness of his death, and we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Here it is again, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. The old you. Remember we said that a moment ago. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. We, you should not be enslaved to sin. Sin should not rule in your life. And he says there in verse 7, For he that is dead is freed 
from sin. That English word freed is the same word as justified. Verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ or united to Christ in his death, we believe that we shall also live with him. See that? We believe. Listen, this, here's where your faith needs to take hold of this. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Second Corinthians, turn there. But you see the union that we have with Christ in his death? And listen, this is so important. This is important for your faith. It's important for your sanctification. We should never surrender to sin. We should never let sin come back in. Beloved, we should never fall into sin again, though we do. And I'll address that in a moment. But beloved, if you're in Christ, you are not the same person that you used to be. You're not. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if you are the same person that you used to be and that you've always been, well, then you're not saved. Because the saved are different. They're new. They have a new heart. In fact, the book of Ezekiel tells us that. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. That's God's work. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall be my people and I shall be your God. Salvation is a supernatural work of God. And beloved, when God saves someone, he changes them. He doesn't save them and leave them right there in their sins. 2 Corinthians 5.14, this is important. Notice, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, notice that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore if any man be in Christ, here's our passage, he is a new creature. A new creation literally is what it means. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're in Christ, that speaks of you. Now, look at Colossians 3 1. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Colossians 3.1, if ye then be risen with Christ, that's you, Christian. If you're saved, you profess faith in Christ, then you're risen with Christ. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What's the next four words? For you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Since you are dead, and we're not going to talk about this today, but verse 4 
since you are dead, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That's, that's after we depart sanctification in Romans. We won't go there today. But then one more, 1 Peter 2.24, just one verse there. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. Peter speaks of Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being, what's the next three words? Dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. That's a blessing. Listen, this is what you need to take. Your faith needs to take hold of this. Listen, this is huge stuff for the Christian. So listen, just as you believed Christ, that Christ died for your sins on the cross, you were also to believe this wonderful truth, that in Christ you're dead to sin. This is something that you need to take hold of. And listen, I'll just tell you what I do. When I read the scripture, I'll say, Lord, you said I'm dead to sin. I'm, I want to be dead to sin. I don't want it to have any dominion in me. I don't want it to rule in me at all. I want it to have no place in my life. Christian, if this is you, you are no longer under the dominion of sin. Sin no longer reigns as a king over you in your life. You are no longer a servant of sin or enslaved to sin. And you're no longer condemned by the law for your sins. As Romans 7, 4 states, you're dead to the law by the body of Christ. He took the penalty of our sins in his own body on the tree. Now listen, knowing and believing this wonderful truth that you were united with Christ in his death, remember that and think about that today. If you're in Christ, you were united to Christ in his death, that your old man was crucified with Christ. And now, as we go from verse 11 and forward, now Paul moves to God's command, since we know this is true, and since the Bible teaches us this is true, that I am dead to my sins, now what? Well, Paul tells us what to do now. You remember James? Show me your faith by your works. Paul says, show me your faith by what you do now. Verse 11, go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. As we start there, Paul says, likewise, reckon or consider ye also yourselves, because we know that this is true, that I am dead to sin, you need to reckon it to be true yourself. You need to believe it yourself. That's what he's saying. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This, verses 11 to 13, are not written in the indicative. They're written as commands. It's an imperative command. Look at it there. And then verse 12, here's another command. Since we know that you're dead to sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Here's another one. Neither yield ye your members or present your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God 
present yourselves unto God. Romans 12, you know what Romans 12 says in verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And it's in the present tense, continually being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you, you, you're becoming more holy and more sanctified. So Paul here is saying, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. That's you, Christian, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Listen, this is where each of you as Christians are called to practice what you believe. We believe a lot of things. But do you practice what you believe? Do you practice what you believe and know? We must practice what we believe to be true from God's word. If I am in Christ, then I must believe that I am dead to sin. And now I need to practice it by putting it off. Show me your faith in Christ by how you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. And by how you don't let sin reign in your life. Beloved, that's to be you. And listen, I love verse 14. This is a certainty about you and your salvation. This is again spoken in the indicative. Look at verse 14. Christian, you could put that right before this. For sin shall not have dominion over you. If you're a Christian, sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law but under grace it's a certainty about you and your salvation it's a truth that is true of you look at let me just show you two psalms and we're winding down here psalm 19 psalm 19 and verse 13 this teaches you about how you should think the psalmist here in Psalm 19 and verse 13, we'll read verse 12. He says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. That's the kind of heart I want to have. Let them not have what? Dominion over me then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression was this a Christian writing this you know it was Psalm 119 verse 133 one more verse Psalm 119 verses verse one verse 133 the psalmist writes here order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. That should be your heart. Man, that's a prayer for every day. Now let me complete this thought for you so we can bring it into the practical sense. To be dead to sin doesn't mean that you will be able to live a sinless life. Let me just say that. That's coming, 
that time when we will be without sin, but regrettably in this earthly life, we still fall into sin. We still live in bodies of flesh, bodies of sin, but in Christ, sin no longer has dominion over you. As children of God, we don't stay in our sins. When we fall into sin, we get up. Though we fall, we shall not be utterly cast down. Now, as children of God, we hate our sins. When they manifest themselves, we mortify our sins. We kill our sins. We take them out of our thoughts and minds. We acknowledge and confess them to our Father, and we run back to the cross for fresh grace. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I love what Matthew Poole wrote concerning being dead to sin. He wrote, it's not falling into water that drowns a man, it's lying in it. So it's not falling into sin that damns a man, it's living in sin that damns him. Beloved, to be dead to sin is another way of saying you're alive in Christ. You're alive in Christ. You're no longer, remember this, you're no longer the person that you once were. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Christian, remember this. When Christ died on that cross, you were united to him in his death. And now you're united to him in his life. Now, by faith, you are to reckon your old self to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Beloved, this is a liberating truth. Now, let's just finish. I'll, I'll finish out the chapter. Just listen to what Paul says, and then we'll dismiss in prayer. Look at verse 15. Romans 6:15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Now listen, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants or slaves to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So which one are you? But God be thanked, Christian, that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You obeyed the gospel. Being then made free from sin. That's what it means to be saved. You became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have in times past yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when ye were I, I love this verse. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. That's not a freedom that you want. If you're a servant from sin, if you're a servant to sin, you're free from righteousness. He says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, Christian, being made free from sin... And have become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness. And the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift 
of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6 is one of the most liberating and sanctifying and blessed chapters in all of the Word of God. Enter into it, brethren. Enter into this great salvation which Christ has procured on your part. Enter into this union and realize that it is absolutely true that you died with Christ. Therefore, you are dead to sin and you should no longer live in it. If you're lost, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. That's a bad death. That's where you don't want to be. But Christ died for sinners. And if you're a lost sinner, and you admit that you're a lost sinner to God, guess what? You qualify for salvation. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you're lost today, believe Christ. Christian, if you're saved, realize that you're dead to sin, and you should serve it no longer, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Oh God, I pray we would never... Father, turn your grace into sin or think that we might sin on purpose that grace may abound. Oh God, may, we, may you bring this wonderful truth of being dead to sin home to our hearts that, Father, we might live in this freedom from sin, in this being liberated from sin so that we would yield ourselves not unto iniquity and wickedness, but that we would yield ourselves unto thee, O God, as those that are alive from the dead. O God, what a blessed thing to be united to Christ in both his death and in his life. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be blessed in our souls and to be sanctified and to be strengthened with this truth. O God, I pray that you would help us. Forgive us, Father, for our sins. Thank you so much for the Lord's Supper that we had earlier. I pray that you'd have our hearts ready for this evening as Brother Randy brings the word again. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Bring that song up, Patrick. We're going to sing that. Let's all stand and we'll be dismissed. This is a scripture song. We'll sing it through twice. Galatians 2.20 <clears throat> Ready? I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Son of God.